Anthony for three. Bang! Curry way downtown. Bang! Seconds. Bryant for the win. Bulls trying to get open. Fires away. Bang! It's over. Doncic pulls up three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good. Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Welcome to the Knockdown J NBA podcast. I am your host, Jalen Dixon. And guys, it's been a while since the last time we've potted on this page, but a lot has happened since the last time I recorded. A ton of different transactions, a ton of transactions that didn't happen, a lot of drama. We're not going to talk about Ime Adelka over here too, too much, but we are going to talk about some big time basketball with the season officially starting. The 2022-23 season is here And we have some storylines coming out of the preseason that we are going to be focusing on heavily in this podcast as we look to start of opening night. And to help me out with that, I'm going to bring on my good friend from Two Guys, One Who podcast, Brian. Brian, before we get into the basketball, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for asking. Yeah, man. So just to get some general thoughts real quick before we dive into the, the real meat and potatoes of this podcast. What are some of the things that you were paying attention to, some of the things that came up throughout the offseason and throughout the preseason that really kind of caught your attention? Because, you know, this this was a pretty dead spell for us this offseason. And, of course, there were a couple of trade rumors here and there that kind of both made things a little loud but also kind of halted other things. And so although the offseason had its fair share of drama, a whole lot in a sense, didn't happen. So what were some of the storylines over the course of the, the uh, offseason that you were clinging on to? You know, you made a really good point. I think that the NBA thrives off of the um, soap <laughs> opera nature that we've seen over the last couple of, of, mm-hmm. of months. It's not always for the better you mentioned the email incident which is just totally unfortunate you know it's not it's not what we wanted to see happen but uh i i think that all that kind of stuff all it does all the intrigue all the drama makes people love this league mm. even more it's it so there used to be this like thing with the nfl is like it's a 20 it's a 24 hour seven day a week 365 day a year league and that's still true, but I think the NBA is more so because even when it's a dead season, like you mentioned, really the Donovan Mitchell trade was really the only big trade, despite all the rumors of, and, and I guess Rudy, but I mean that happened way right. earlier in the season, you know, way earlier in the in the off season. But like you know, we expected KD to get traded or Kyrie to be moved or Westbrook right. to be all these things that popped up, and really to me the main storyline is just nothing <laughs> happened, like. Nothing happened. Uh, people stayed stayed put. And the reason I think that that is such a, a weird storyline is because people expect big things mm-hmm. to happen in the offseason. And we, we did get some big things. You know, like I mentioned, Utah trading two other primetime players. But the, the thing that I look at most when I look at transactions is – it's kind of like the moves that Boston did with Malcolm Brogdon and, and Gallinari. Cause those are typically the moves that push your team over. Um, it's not very often that you get a land, right. a big star. We've just seen so many players switch teams over the last, I guess now it's been a decade or so, but I just, yeah, the lack of movement, honestly, even among some of the smaller players, or, and I don't mean smaller. That's that sounds like derogatory, but like n- non, 
like superstar players. I just don't. I, there wasn't a lot of movement, honestly, in the in, in the league this year, and I, I think that's a bigger storyline. I think part of it is teams. A lot of teams think they compete when you had when you add uh, multiple spots like we did last year to the playoffs. Teams that aren't necessarily thinking playoffs in the past are now yeah. thinking playoffs, so they're holding on to I think players a little bit longer. Also, the price tag has just been insane for players. You know, when you're trying to get number one draft picks for Bojan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley at this point, or Buddy Heald and and Miles Turner, trying to you know you're trying to get two first round draft picks from the Lakers. That that's a high price, you know, for these type of players. So I think all of that plus one thing that I'm really looking at this season, and I don't want to. This isn't. You know, you 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 were like for number five on our list of things was like the storyline you're most ex- excited heading into open night. This isn't it. I'm talking about like in general over the next few years. What is the league doing with their new with their new CBA? What is going to happen when we sign the new rights deal? Um, we saw what happened last time when there was a bump. You know, the Warriors got KD. Um, LeBron's talking expansion. This is something we talked about a long mm-hmm. time ago. And that I mentioned that Bill Simmons seems to have insider information. Looks like we're getting two more teams within the next decade. So those are things that I'm kind of, I kind of thought were interesting coming out of preseason that nobody really picked up on is like LeBron saying, I'm going to own a team in Vegas. He didn't say I want to, I mean, he did say I want to, but he pretty much was like, I'm going to have a team in Vegas. Like he's calling his shot there. So it seems like Vegas and Seattle are a lock to have teams. Um, so I thought that was pretty I think you make a really great point when you talk about the lack of player movement, but the focus on the things off the court that do kind of keep the basketball going, right? When you think about the idea of the Ime Yadoka situation, although, yes, the situation has nothing to do with basketball, the overall productivity on the court is affected by his situation. You talk about the Robert Sarver situation, for example, right, where he's selling the team um, and the upward price right now is around, I believe, like $3 billion yeah. or something crazy like that. It's some absurd number that has uh, some of the big wigs uh, really throwing their head, uh, their you know, you know, their money in the pot, um, and that's going to affect. That's going to impact the Phoenix Suns, not just you know this season in terms of certain circumstances, but moving forward. I mean, they're already a very interesting um, free agent destination, but with competent ownership that really changes them moving forward. Um, Something else that's off the court related, but I think does impact the floor is the relationship of certain players with other players or coaches going into this season, right? On one aspect of it, you have DeAndre Ayton and his relationship with uh, the front office, as well as the coaching staff, specifically Monty Williams. Yes, he was re-signed back, but you can see, we saw it throughout preseason and specifically on media day. This is a guy who, may not stick around. Of course, he has to be there until the better half of, I believe, January or February. But once he becomes trade eligible, he could be a guy who voices his opinion in terms of putting himself in a different position. That is impactful. Mm -hmm. You look at the other end of the spectrum, KD voiced his opinion about the idea of wanting to be on a different position, be in a different spot, and it was not met. And therefore, there was a lot of other things that were in play. We had an entire conversation about this, setting up trade, uh, potential trade offers and things like that, that all fell through just due to this simple compromise that we thought was coming. We did kind of feel as though a lot of the trade packages were unrealistic just because of the kind of stuff that was being given up. But it goes to also show us 
long term that trading for a superstar is no longer going to be as uh simplistic or as uh, acquirable as in futures past these draft picks these these draft picks are valuable more much more valuable i think now than they've ever been and although it seems like everybody's playing hot potato with their picks you see that mm-hmm. these packages for star players requires two, three, four, five, and six, and along with active players, in order to really have a shot. And I think that has a lot of impact moving forward in terms of the uh, mobility in the league as well. So I think there was right. just a lot of things off the court that I think are going to be super uh, implicative moving forward in terms of not just this season, but moving forward in terms of, like you said, even the expansion aspect. These are all things that I feel like this offseason in particular is going to have a lot of influence on where the NBA moves forward, including the fact that weren't uh, in-season tournament conversations taking place early in the uh, the, season. uh, off season as well. That's even another thing that's coming up, uh, coming up or being further discussed. So I think although there's not right. a lot of stuff that's impactful on court outside of, of course, like injured players returning and things of that nature, I think that we've learned a lot about the trajectory of the league or at least the potential trajectory of the league based off a handful of things that were said and done throughout this off season. Um, I want to pick up with that trajectory of the league thing by starting with our first topic. And although this might be an interesting way to frame it, considering the circumstances, Brian, we have to talk about the man, the myth, the legend that is the seven foot four, <laughs> you know, yeah. the seven foot four 2K creator player that is Victor Wimbanyama. So right. this is a guy that coming out of the preseason, although it is not directly NBA related from an NBA draft standpoint this is the crown jewel of crown jewels for the first time and lord knows how long mm. i was reading reports that even said that whoever is uh lucky enough to be able to draft victor wembanyama the value of their franchise has the potential to shoot up by about 500 million simply by him being able to put their jersey on yeah. so we had a lot of conversation off camera about victor and scoot around their first two matchups um, I want to get your thoughts, A, on just Victor as a player and everything that you've seen, because he's been a complete beast over the first three or four games of this mm-hmm. uh, this season that he's got going on. But also just your thoughts about the uh, the tankathon that will be this year, because I think that tank, that tankathon, this generational talent of a player, I think single-handedly is going to have more influence on the standings than the teams themselves in terms of how they conduct themselves. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it's rare to have this kind of talent. Like when we think about the last, I don't know, uh, let's just go back to LeBron because everybody's comparing like who's a better prospect, LeBron or – and it's like, well, I think it was clearly LeBron. I, and I know that's not the question you asked, but like I think it's a silly comparison in terms of like future aspirations because – LeBron was a we knew when he was a junior in high school that he was a generational talent um and there was a lot of pressure obviously on him to to be successful and obviously mm-hmm. it panned out the thing with that's different I think with Victor Wimbiana and I think that when you look at his game is we've never seen a player built mm-hmm. like him right we 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 have Chet Holmgren and and I you know we kind of talked about this I think off off uh off mic, but 
Chet to me was like I worried about him mm-hmm. getting in, injured, and because of the way he moved, the way that his body was constructed, and it just didn't seem natural. the The difference between Wimbiana and and Holmgren is Victor looks like a card, <laughs> like he moves mm-hmm. smoothly, he moves soft, and he's elegant and he's graceful with with the ball, without the ball, on defense. His shot is just it's like picture perfect what you would what you would ask for uh, a six six shooting Mm. guard to have so like these are things that i think that if you are a true nba head and you understand like what you're looking for in a prospect that if he was six eight he would be one of the best prospects of all time the fact that he's seven four seven five some people think it makes it even more insane because now you have this is the epitome of of a unicorn. If you created a unicorn, this is what it would look like. This isn't, you know, what we thought Chris Top was or what Chet might be. Like he is legit like just a masterpiece. It's like God said, What is the perfect basketball player going to look like? And you would have said it was LeBron before because he's strong, athletic, big, mm-hmm. tall, fast. But I think in today's modern NBA, that's Victor. So I think that's why people are so excited mm. about him is because it's not just it's not just, oh, he has talent or he has raw ability. It's like, no, this guy was manufactured <laughs> in a lab to be a basketball player. Now, the effect that that has on the season, well, that's a good question because if I'm right, and I'm not the only one, but like if, if we're right about what he potentially is, then – even teams that aren't necessarily at the bottom, like a, you know, we talked about Detroit and Orlando possibly take being able to take a, a leap to the playoffs or Sacramento. Like I would be questioning if I, if I'm a GM or I'm a coach, like I would have this, I would, I would legitimately have this conversation of like, is it worth getting the mm-hmm. eight seed and maybe, and maybe getting out of the plane? Is that worth it? I mean, in the long run or should we throw our ring into this hat of maybe potentially getting one of the most sought after players in the history of the game because i think there is potential that when this is all said and done you can look and say that he is the he's a top five player of all time i know that's a lot to put on a guy who's never stepped Mm -hmm. foot on the court but i think that that's realistically how some of these and i think you make a really great point about the business decision aspect of it and that's what i meant beforehand i think that's one of these things where when you talk about the prospect that is victor women yama i think just the 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 theory of him is something that's going to have a lot of front offices questioning how they want to pursue this season they may be a team like Orlando or Detroit that might have improved slightly on paper or has the potential to improve just based off internal growth. And you want to see that internal growth uh, take its stride in a season like this, especially for some of these teams that have rookies that are going to be legit or second-year players that are going to be legit. For example, Kay Cunningham and Paolo Bancaro, right? But at the same time, if you're asking yourself moving forward, if you do you feel like you will gain more value out of seeing significant strides from those guys this season individually or do you feel as though you will gain more value moving forward by having the chance to acquire a guy like that that really puts you in a very interesting predicament because it's kind of a, a sum versus the whole, a chicken versus the egg, you know, a chicken versus the egg situation in terms of which comes first, the development internally or the idea of acquiring another big time talent that puts you over the top. 
because the more of, of course we've talked about this beforehand we brought this up with the uh the orlando uh excuse me the uh okc thunder beforehand when is the point where internal development ends up timing out from a perspective of eventually you got to pay these guys you know okc falls into this category memphis is another team i've brought up plenty on this podcast as a team where like internal development does have its ceiling or like or when does that ceiling reach Wimbenyama is a guy who I think instantly raises whatever your floor, let alone your ceiling is simply by putting him in your uniform. So I actually want to do a little exercise with you that I think will be kind of interesting when you talk about the value of this guy. And of course, I want to focus more on his on-court presence and what kind of game he has less than kind of like the off-court, you know, 500 million and all that stuff like that, that could possibly be uh, attached with them. And I want to focus more so on the talent. Brian, my question to you, and we're going to go through a couple of guys, is I'm going to list out some guys, and you tell me whether or not you feel like you will be willing to trade them if it meant that you were able to get the number one overall pick with the opportunity to draft Victor Wamayama. So the first player that I'm going to start with, I'm going to start very casual, a guy like Bam Adebayo. 100 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, question. I think I would trade. Yeah, I, think I love I Bam, Bam too. But um, yeah. let's move to somebody different. I hate to set the bar so high so early, but what about a guy like Jason Tatum, for example? Mm, that's a good question. I, and I think an exercise like this is really good because you are seeing like, what is the true value of a player? Because we know that Tatum is an MVP running. If you're an MVP running and you're on a team that went to the finals, you have to be put in, I would say at least, at least top 10, if not top five Mm -hmm. best players in the league. I mean, the league is very talented right now. So, and we know that, but at the same time, um, he, his value is, is, high on any team i'm gonna i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to say no um just because i think even though i think like i i think i laid out pretty clearly i think victor could be an a mm-hmm. all-time great you're 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 dealing in uh what ifs with somebody that you already yeah. know what you have and he's so how young. about this from a perspective of comparing two what ifs how about a guy like zion williamson for example mm Mm, you know, I that's a. Oof, well, yeah, that's a I also one. agree about uh, not trading Tatum. By the way, I think the known the known commodity aspect of it is something that's really important. And you have a guy where Jason Tatum's floor is a lot higher than a lot of these other players that we're talking about. Um, this this one with Zion is a little bit different because the sample size is set up a certain kind of way. But especially with his body transformation, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But with his body transformation and what we have seen as a product on the floor, it makes for an interesting comparison because in a weird way, their their styles are actually the exact opposite of each mm-hmm. other. Yet they both, in a way, mm-hmm. are also arguably as dominant yeah. as one another. Yeah, this is a really tough one because... I'm as high on Zion as you can be. Like honestly, coming out of college, I, I was, I thought he was clearly the number one pick. But I preached this from the beginning that like this dude, the way he plays, the way he's built, it's not built for the NBA. Like he is a walking injury mm-hmm. waiting to happen. And I, this is not something I'm relishing the fact that I was right about because I, I wasn't the only one that was saying that. But like I was right, and it sucks. Like this is not something you want to be right about. I want to see, see Zion mm-hmm. healthy. 
and yeah, he did make strides in, in his body and, and, and hopefully, hopefully he's, um, a little bit, you know, thinner, a little bit stronger, but I would still, I would, I would probably, I would probably take the risk on Wimbiana because even though his frame says that he might be injury prone, I think that the way that he moves just is different. And the, my, my, the thing that scares me most about Zion, if I'm a, a Zion, uh, if I'm in the Zion business, the thing that scares me most is how his, his body and how his game is going to translate when he does lose a little bit of Mm. athleticism. And that's my biggest fear with him is his game is so predicated on athleticism that if he does have an injury, even if it's not catastrophic, it could be catastrophic to him because he relies so much on his ability to jump, to close out, to, um, to accelerate. And those things scare me. Whereas Wimbiana is, if he can stay Mm. healthy, you know, we're assuming that they both are healthy you know, he can work in the post, you know, if he gets a little bit bigger and he works with the weights and he does these things that we saw other players do, um, he could be in the league mm-hmm. for a long time. I mean, he could have a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar type career where he can live on the outside for the beginning parts of his year and he can slowly work his way into being, you know, in the later parts of his career, somebody who contributes with, uh, instead of scoring 30 a game, he's scoring 20 and, and grabbing 10 and still blocking shots because, he doesn't even have to jump to block <laughs> right. a shot. I mean, that's how tall this guy is. But so I, I think, I think I probably would, I probably would trade Zion. I mean, that's same. That might seem blasphemous in ten years, but no. Nah, I mean, I think, I think you, I yeah. think you have a solid point. I'm going to end with two other guys that I think are really interesting, and they fall more into the category of Wimbin Yama in terms of peer comparisons, not necessarily mm-hmm. in terms of age, but more so play style. So the first guy I'm going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about, or the first guy I'm going to ask about is AD. Or Wimbenyaba in that situation. Mm. If you had to trade away Anthony Davis with the chance of getting the first overall pick for Wimbenyaba, you know, honestly, if you would ask me this uh, pre, even if, like pre-COVID, I would have said there's no way I'm trading AD for him. I thought I think I thought AD had the potential to be an all-time great, but after as a Laker fan and somebody who's experienced mm. AD, um, I think he still has the talent. But at this point. I would, I would, I would trade AD for, for, for yeah, I think I would come off AD too. I think the last person that I want to go with, and I think this is an interesting name because of the trajectory that he's been on, but also the shelf life that he might have. The last, the last guy that I got is Joel Embiid. Mm. I'm going to say no, just because I think he's young enough and he's close enough. I mean, you're so close if you're the Sixers to having a, Mm -hmm. a title. Um, and, it, I think they're actually a really good comparison. I think they're very similar players. Um, uh, I, I think Wimian is a little bit more smooth mm. with the basketball, but uh, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, if this was in five years, I might say something different, but as of right now, if, if it's today, 
Uh, I'm taking. Dame. I think I'm going to go against the grain. Six, Sixers fans might not love this, but I think I'm actually going to go with mm. Wimbenyama. I think that long term, he's going to be a guy that's okay. going to be like insane in terms of his trajectory. Um, obviously, it's a little weird when you compare ages as well, because you know Joel Embiid has a, is mm-hmm. significantly more seasoned overall. But I think that Wimbenyama right. is just so much of a freak of nature in terms of his overall build um, and skill set that I think he's going to fall into that category amongst like the the very small sure. handful of guys that you say you can plug him onto any team and he can be equally as effective regardless of if his role changes. I feel like that's something that a lot of these guys in the league moving yeah. forward are going to have to adapt to. And I think some of the best players in the league are going to be those guys where you can say they have the versatility to be plopped on any team and still be as effective or be around as effective as their you know best version of themselves. I don't know if Joel Embiid is that, because I've seen too many variations mm-hmm. of Joel Embiid, whether it's playing with uh, a solid point guard in James Harden, whether it's playing directly through him um, in terms of being on an MVP level. He's not very much of a facilitator, so there's obviously that as well. But we've also seen the early version of Joel Embiid where he was in defensive player of the year running. So we've seen a lot of the different facets of his game, and I still think that overall, the overall upside of his uh versatility as opposed to what I think Wimbenyama brings, I'm going to favor Wimbenyama. Um, We're going to take this and transition over to something that it's funny that we talk about versatility because this is a guy who falls into that category, maybe more than a handful of guys that typically are, you know, praised. This guy might be the poster child of versatility and that's Draymond Green. Um, obviously one of the bigger things that happened this off season, very recently, something that we didn't really get to discuss on this podcast was the altercation between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Now that is since blown over and circumstances have put them, um, in a situation where now Jordan Poole has been paid for years, 140 or 40 million to be exact. And Draymond Green is back with the team after taking a short hiatus from, from the club. In that meantime, Andrew Wiggins was also paid. Uh, four years, $104 million, if I believe correctly. So something that was interesting about that was that Draymond Green is also up for contract extension. And although his circumstance is not nearly as dire when you talk about the time frame given to a give that tra- transaction out, I think the fact that the Warriors did prioritize Poole and Wiggins ahead of Draymond is very telling. So I want to ask you this. Because it's been brought up a ton, at least in the last couple of days. And I think it's it might be a silly conversation, but I think it is a conversation worth having. Do you think that this season there should be real contemplation around the idea of trading Draymond Green if you're Golden State? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I mentioned this before the season last year uh, that I thought maybe there was a trade that they could make to potentially – get rid of him. I, I, I mean, I had to eat crow a little bit on that because he proved to be the dream on of old, but I, I, I really truly believe that he is edging towards the end of his career. His athleticism is one, a, one of his most important values next to his IQ his ability to be uh, a big man and a defensive leader means a lot to that team. But are you being a leader if you're punching your teammate in the face like that? I mean, I just, I mean, you know, we've heard stories about 
Michael Jordan and doing that and or like, you know, Kobe getting in people's faces. And I, I, I get it. And this was a little different because it got leaked to the press and we saw it on video. And maybe it's not as big of a deal as we've made it out to be. I don't, you know, I don't know. But I think it gives the opportunity to the Warriors to get off of his contract. I mean, let's just face it. If you're going to have to pay him $40 million a year for three years, four years, that that actually is turning into a $500 million mm-hmm. contract because they're going to be so far over the limit that it's going to push them into basically being just hogtied with the yeah, team. That they insane have. luxury tax. So, yeah. yeah. And so, like, I mean, I, I feel bad for Draymond because he he's worked his butt off to get where he's at. He deserves mm-hmm. a contract. He deserves a contract because of everything he's done for this team, everything he's put in. But from a business aspect and a business standpoint, if you're the if you're the Warriors, you ha- you you've got to try to trade him. You've got to try to move on because there is just no way that you can maintain uh, this type of spending. It just isn't. You're eventually, it's just not going to be worth it from a mm-hmm. business standpoint. You know, um, so I I would be surprised honestly if he's on this team in. By the end of the year, I would be sure. I think you make honestly. a bunch of great statements, and I'm going to pick off of what you said by also pointing out something that I think is going to be really important moving forward. And I think that's the internal aspect from a team perspective, right? You mentioned the financial aspect of it, but let's talk about it from a more team driven perspective, right? This is a guy who, with every championship, it's been very clear, has become more and more emboldened and that's the word i'm Mm going to use to describe it is he's become more and more emboldened by the ability to say what he's been able to say do what he's been able to do and essentially he and his team majority of the time his team but there's a lot of championships that i think can credit to draymond in terms of his overall Mm -hmm. um, impact you don't of course you don't want to sleep on that but i would say that every championship that the golden state warriors have won has further given draymond green more and more um pride within himself to act as if he is the overall catalyst to the dynasty and i think that's become something that might have started to uh really intoxicate the situation that golden state has going on and although i don't want to overblow things jordan Poole did make it very clear that him and draymond green did smooth things over and that they're there to win championships and hang banners and stuff like that and i don't want to completely uh disregard his statement because at the end of the day he was the one mainly directly impacted and however he is going about applying himself beyond the situation should be respected sure but I hate to kind of go on a tangent about this, but I actually do want to kind of explain something that I've thought about more and more since the incident's taking place. Although the on-floor, on-the-floor impact that Draymond Green is noteworthy, I think something else that should also be taken into consideration is some of the -the off-the-court slash on-the-court antics that have also put the Golden State Warriors in really disadvantaged uh disadvantageous situations we can go back to the kick to lebron james right that ended up costing them a game and Mm -hmm. and since actually ended up snowballing over into them you know losing their overall 3-1 lead and costing in that series a lot of people say if draymond does not get suspended 
that series goes significantly differently. And we would be talking about Golden State significantly differently coming off of mm-hmm. 73 and 9 and so on and so forth. Um, there is the incident with Kevin Durant on the sideline. That was the very start of that snowballing yep. really taking place. A lot of people say that Kevin Durant was already one foot out going into that season. But I would say that that situation actually erupted things to really get the ball rolling in terms of the in terms of Durant's uh lack of engagement or uh you know certain levels of disinterest and Draymond Green also took it upon himself by saying that the front office for lack of a better way to say it fucked things up by intervening in the situation mm-hmm. almost in a way by trying to make it seem as though he knows best for what needs to go on for that organization despite the fact that they have mm-hmm. figureheads and so on and so forth that are the ones that actually make the big time decisions. Right. You continue to spiral that on further and further. You talk about a lot of the things from a, from the whole new media concept that he's kind of been pushing for. And a lot of the other things, it seems like Draymond Green continuously acts as the guy that puts the target on Golden State more than they already have on them being a dynastic group mm-hmm. over the last five to seven years. And in a sense, especially when you look at the counting stats and his overall impact on both sides of the floor, yes, he's significantly uh, better on defense than he is offense. But for the most part, you look at the overall impact on the floor, especially with the fact that he has regressed significantly especially on the offensive end something that he wasn't all he wasn't like elite at to begin with these are a lot of checks that his teammates are having to cash and i do feel like there's a shelf life on that as well despite the impact that draymond Mm -hmm. green does bring both on the court defensively from a mentality standpoint Mm -hmm. and i would argue as well from a cultural standpoint there still comes a point where there is a ceiling as to how long you can let something fly. You know what I mean? And so... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a very I want to ask point. you this from this perspective, too. I think Golden State is in a really interesting set of circumstances because you mentioned the idea of the bill getting too high, and I think you have to ask yourself, is Draymond Green worth being the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of this luxury tax getting even more significant, understanding what it is that he's looking for in a contract going into his upper thirties. So like perspectively, I understand that I mentioned it from a financial standpoint, but let's just talk about the intangibles, both good and bad. Do you think that with what Draymond Green has kind of voiced his opinion towards in terms of what he feels as though his value is, do you think for Golden State or for any other team that he's even as valuable as he believes moving forward? Because I, I actually question that. I actually wonder whether or not mm-hmm. three years, $40 million a year is a tight, despite the kind of impact we know he does have. I do wonder, especially factoring age and wild cardness and all of those other things, whether or not, despite all those intangibles, he is not worth what he thinks he is. Yeah, I think... I think you bring up some really good points. My, what I would say about Draymond is that without him, they probably don't win um, the championships that they won. But at the same time, he probably cost them as many as he won, mm. right? So, like, that is, uh, in terms of on the court, I, I totally agree with everything that you said about the, the loss of championships. And But but also, he, you know, he, without him, they, they probably don't win um, in 2015. So 
and, and probably not last year, even though he was benched at certain points, but he, he really led that team in other series, you know, I mean, the, he, he was the catalyst, I think in the Dallas series, but I, at this point in his career, he doesn't have the clout that I think he w- he thinks he has mm. in the NBA. And I don't think he has the athleticism or the skill that he thinks he has. You're, they're always, this always happens with players like, like Draymond who are kind of the mouth. So like clay and Steph, mainly Steph, they are the faces mm-hmm. of the franchise, right? But the mouthpiece of the franchise has always been Draymond. He's always been the voice and it's kind of been nice, I think, for Clay and 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 Steph because they could kind of like <coughs> be the personalities mm-hmm. that they are behind the scenes, and Draymond could be the one that's like talking right, shit, right. and he's going to other players. So I think you kind of need that dynamic in a championship, but I don't think that there is. I, I think he's worth more to to the Warriors than any other mm-hmm. team in the league. Uh, I, I I really truly believe that. Now there are teams that could probably use him. And use him effectively and maybe be the player that kind of is a catalyst to bring things together mm-hmm. somewhat. But I don't think that there's another team that would even – if he was a free agent, let's put it this way. If he was a free agent, is he making that much money? Probably mm-hmm. not. Probably not. Unless it's a team who – like Sacramento <laughs> or just somebody who's going right. to overpay. You know what I mean? Somebody who's going to overpay to get somebody like Draymond mm-hmm. in. He his his market value is not that it's not that, and I think that his skill set doesn't deserve that. I really don't think it does mm. at this point. I don't. He's he's a fading star, and this is. I know it's going to be hard for the Warriors and for him to to understand that. But like, you got to move on. He needs to move on. They need to move on. I think you the the best. Thing for both of them is to move on. I think you make some interesting points. I think that Draymond is in a really interesting place. And the reason why this is one of the bigger storylines coming out of the preseason is because I think his dynamic on this Warriors team is going to have a lot of influence on their ability to potentially repeat. At the end of the day, he is the linchpin mm-hmm. for them defensively. And let's be honest, this Warriors team is not ex- extremely deep. We've had this conversation a few times here and there. Of right. course, they were able to mitigate some of their losses by being able to bring in guys like Dante DiVincenzo and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they saw a lot go out of that door, right? They're bringing back Andre Iguodala for one more year as part of his retirement tour, really. But they watched Gary Payton II go out. They watched Otto Porter go to Toronto. I think that they're in a situation where although they still are very talented on their top end, I think their back end, of course, is still extremely youthful. It's going to be interesting to see what James Wiseman looks like. The preseason was very kind to him. I think he was very effective in the preseason, but Mm -hmm. I, I would love to see what that looks like over a significant sample size, considering this is a guy that we have not seen a lot of basketball in general from outside of high school. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see the growth of guys like him, Moody, Kuminga. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the back end of their roster is extremely young. The back end of their roster was not, um, super effective or not or maybe in certain aspects not participants in their finals run last season it's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. how that newly developed continuity puts itself together considering there's still a lot of guys finding themselves and of course coming off a championship there's a lot of people that feel as though 
they're a little bit beyond where their current stand, where the, where they believe their current stance is. So I think Draymond's dynamic being one of those guys, right, coming off a championship and believing that he's maybe a little bit further along than people may feel he is, is going to have significant impact on how the how the season goes. Now, the infrastructure of Golden State is great for these kind of things, but considering that this got as far as being leaked, that goes to show you that, you know, mm-hmm. there is such thing as being able to put a hole in a, in a sink, another hole in a sinking ship. But this is one of those things where this team, when you talk about the luxury right. tax aspect of it, the aging of the stars that they do have, and now some of these off the court dynamics, there's a lot to factor in. So for sure. Yeah. For sure. So yeah. I want to transition over to uh, Zion Williamson. I hinted to it earlier in the podcast, and I think it's going to be one of the more important things going into the season. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier the idea of all of these superstars returning back to the floor. Of course, Kawhi Leonard headlines that along with guys like Jamal, uh, Jamal Murray and others. Zion Williamson might be the most influential while also being the most interesting in terms of his return because of his body transformation being the biggest headline, I think, of the uh, New Orleans Pelicans this entire offseason. And I think his mentality going into this year, it was actually reported um, like 30 minutes ago from when we're recording this, that he is without a doubt going to be playing on Wednesday and opening day against the uh, the Brooklyn Nets, which is going to be a really interesting matchup. So the conversation I want to have with you in terms of Zion specifically is, from your perspective as somebody who's not a direct New Orleans Pelicans fan, but a guy who does have a certain level of expectations for this team coming off the postseason that they had, what are your individual expectations for Zion Williamson going into this season building up off of the transformation, what we saw last year. And of course Mm -hmm. the big step that has to be, you know, what year four for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think my expectations for Zion is he needs to be uh, an all NBA talent. He needs to, he needs to play 70 games and we need to see, we need to see that out of him. Um, I don't, I, I, I at the, he, I understand the injury history, and I'm not saying that they need to rush him back or they need to play him unnecessary minutes or anything like that, but he needs to be available. If he's resting, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of be okay with it, but um, you, you, he can't miss more than 12 games mm. this year, like in my opinion. Like you can't set this expectation when you're this young to not – play for like for Kawhi, i get it for lebron i would get it but for zion you, you gotta be playing i mean you I, you I understand your injury history but you're 22 mm-hmm. years old if you can't play 70 games at 22 years old then what is your value to mm-hmm. the team because what you're saying is i can't keep myself healthy my body is gonna break down and what we've seen in the past is if you can't stay healthy during the regular season you're not going to stay healthy in the mm-hmm. in the playoffs. You, you're just not. I mean, Kawhi, Kawhi, I, 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 you you can't you can extrapolate this. This is this is I'm not I'm not making this stat up. I'm not making I, this is this is fact. You can look into it. If you miss, if you throughout your career, if you've consistently missed more than twelve games throughout the regular mm-hmm. season, 
due to injury, not due to rest, but due to injury, you will not make it through the entire mm-hmm. playoffs. You just won't. Like, if your body can't hold up, and the reason is is because those games are much more intense, they're much closer, uh, closely competitive, and the games are at times much more mm-hmm. physical and it's just a different level. And so those minutes on top of the other minutes, if you don't make it through the, if you can't make it through the regular season healthy, you're not going to make it through the playoffs. I could list you player after player after player who has had playoffs cut short because of injuries. Joel Embiid, somebody we talked about James Harden, Anthony Davis, the list goes on and on. And these are just stars. You can, you can go all the way down to, to role players or, you know, all stars and mm-hmm. our superstars. If you can't play 70 games in the regular season, chances are you're not going to be able to finish right. in the postseason. So to me, that's the magic number. Um, and I'm regurgitating a little bit of what I've heard, but that's just the facts. You have to play 70 games mm-hmm. this year. Um, and I, like I said, if they get uh, if they get to a spot where they're like they've clinched home court, and he's played like 67, 68 games, and they want to bench him and get him rest at certain spots, okay, I get that, I understand it. But if you're missing games due to injury because you're hurt, dude, that's I mean, what is your career? You, you're 22 years old. This is not yeah. looking good. I think you make a really good point about the, the 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 games played milestone being significant because of the fact that at the end of the day, we have a very small sample size of a 27 point per game score shooting on 60 percent from mm-hmm. the floor, and it sounds great when you spell it out because it sounds like a hyper efficient guy who mainly can play around the rim uses physicality uh, to his advantage. And he also has a handle and other things that can make it where he can be an even better player potentially with the proper reps. But I want to build upon that with the proper reps includes being active in these games, both competitive and not. Now, of course you don't want to be blowing a team out by 30 and running a guy like Zion out there, considering the injury history being taken, taken and, you know, taken into account. But mm-hmm. I think at the same time, I think that 65 to 70 game threshold that you speak about is much more indicative of his longevity moving forward and what this body transformation has done for his health moving forward. I think the games played aspect mm-hmm. is actually much more important than his effectiveness on the floor. He's going to be a little rusty. He is I a agree. guy that plays more with his athleticism and physicality. So the idea of him averaging 20 yep. and 10 is not something that's like unfathomable, whether healthy or you know a little dinged up. He's a guy that can kind of do that in his sleep just based off the strength, right? But I think that his ability to play for the totality of the season, of course, setting 82 games, I think it's a high bar in today's NBA. But I think I agree with with the 65 to 70 game threshold because I feel like that's much more indicative of the progress that he's made both physically and I would say mentally, too, in terms of being able to feel like, you know, his body is going to be able to hold up for the long term. Because this is a team that coming off of last season has to be having significant um internal hype around the idea of wanting to not just make the postseason but now make a run this is a team that gave we talked Mm -hmm. about it a lot during the time frame uh of the playoffs this is a team that gave the phoenix suns a real run for their money and a difference maker like this could have easily been the difference between that series going a different way so now the question that you have to ask yourself is if if zion williamson is this 
um, generational level of a talent that we all believe he is based off the short sample size that he has. In a bigger sample size, not only A, can we still get that representation, but B, is that something that can be sustained long term in terms in, in order for him to truly be a pillar of the franchise? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's I I agree. Like I I don't need him to put up those numbers. You're right. He doesn't need to average 27 on 60. He, I I just need he needs needs to play. And I think that that's what people have been saying for a long time. It's the same thing with Ben Simmons too. Uh, is we just want to see him play. Like mm-hmm. just play basketball. We'll we'll reserve I will reserve judgment. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to call out uh Zion if he's having a bad shooting performance. Um I don't mm-hmm. think that's fair. But what I do think is fair is to expect him to be able to play back-to-backs and be able to play four mm. out of five games. Like that, to me, that if you can't play 80% of your games, then, I mean, I, I just, what are you to a basketball right. team? You know, and that that's, that's that's to me, is, that's the, that's the biggest elephant in the room. Yeah. Is... Yeah. Play. Just play basketball. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's such an interesting concept nowadays with the, with the, um, inducting of this, you know, concept of, you know, low management and things like that. The idea of playing yeah. the game has definitely been much more interesting. And I think, you know, Ben Simmons is another guy. I think you make a great point about just wanting to see his effectiveness on the floor after not seeing him for so long. It's the idea of more so seeing is the guy we once saw before still in there somewhere with the potential to mm-hmm. continue to move forward, or is there going to be some kind of step back that then changes our entire mentality on the outcome of the player? Because for example, right, Ben Simmons right. was a guy that before the, the, the infamous pass, he was a guy that was in all defensive, uh, all defensive conversations, defensive player of the year conversations. And soon after it was how quickly yeah. can we get him on the Shanghai sharks? Right. It goes to show you how quickly and how yeah. easily you can turn on somebody simply by seeing a change in not in either their mentality or their play style or a combination of the two. Those two things mm-hmm. can significantly change our feeling on how a player will continue to grow within this league. I think Zion Williamson, with the unique physicality that he plays with, now with this body transformation, the question is, can you still be that effective even with this change yeah, in exactly. composition that you have. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I, I want to just to backtrack mm-hmm. real, real quick. And I, I encourage listeners to really like look into this. Like, you, you know, I'm all for load management. And you mentioned load management. Because like, here's the thing. is like, I want players to be healthy in the postseason. Like, that's when it matters most, right? Like, I think what James Harden did early on in his career, he played 82 games like multiple times. Like he was mm. a workhorse and he never got hurt until he started getting hurt. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of the problem with when you push yourself, I'm okay taking games off. I'm not one of these guys. that's like, you know, you need to play every game. You play 82 games. Like I said, you just need to play a large portion of these games, especially when you're younger. Now, when you get mm. older, that's when you, that's when I, I'm okay. Like I'm okay with LeBron only playing right. 60 games. If he's okay with that, I'm I'm okay with that. That 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 is how you win in this league. And I and, and I far be it to me to tell somebody, you know, what to do with their their body. I'm not a pro <laughs> athlete, but I I just like I if you look over the history of the league, it is a good predictor of injury success or injury, you know, 
Chris Paul's only played 72 plus games in his what 19 how many years has he played 19 Yeah, he's a he's a he's in the same evenly. boat as LeBron James, yeah. He's only he's only played 72 plus games six times in his career. So like he's if you if you think about that, he's only played in about 70% of the games available. Uh that's and you look at it, he can't he's never been healthy through a playoff. And so I just I I, I it's a lot of it is not you know, I don't want to put this on the athlete like, oh, you got to take it because a- accidents happen, injuries happen. But I'm sorry, but part of being a a star is being healthy. And if you aren't on the court, you're not a star. So that's just yeah, it. that's definitely tough. And I think you make a really great point about availability being much more significant in the league nowadays than beforehand. This was something where a lot of guys used to play with injuries and different factors like that. But the athletes mm-hmm. are different. The injuries are different. And even though the recovery process mm-hmm. is much better overall, I would definitely still say <laughs> that with that comes a lot of a lot of differences when you talk about the idea of longevity being valued much more in today's league than prior. So I think you make a lot of really great points overall when you talk about that too. Um, I want to make a transition to our last real topic before we kind of get into our nerd out mode mm-hmm. about like what our big storyline, uh, our own individual big storylines are. And this is a lot more in your wheelhouse, Brian, being a Lakers fan. Um, this has been something that's transpired more particularly in the last two weeks. But of course, this saga has been something that's taken place for the better half of a, a season or so. Right. And that's the idea of the Lakers and Russell Westbrook. So the Lakers struggled during the preseason. I believe they went one and four in preseason play. Not that that's really important when you talk about the overall production. Right. There's a lot of things about preseason that don't give mm-hmm. you a ton of value. But one of the things that took place was Russell Westbrook was experimented um, in a lineup that involved him coming off the bench, something where the report said that his relationship with Darvin Ham was a big influence on his willingness to give it a try. Of course, leave it to the basketball gods to also say you start, you bring bitch, you bring Russell Westbrook off the bench for the first time, and he leaves the floor with an injury due to uh, uh, I think it was an ankle injury that he sur- that he suffered th- during that preseason game. The question mm-hmm. I want to ask you, and I, I hate to continue to beat this drum because it's going to be something that is going to be a talking point until a trade actually happens. But yeah. as a Lakers fan, do you see any true value in the idea of a Russell Westbrook-led bench for this Lakers team? Or do you feel like this is still just a means to a slow burn? Yeah, it's a good question. And in a vacuum, with if you look at Russ's skill set and his uh, his ability, I I think that you would say yes. But when you look at who we're talking about, if I just gave you you know the two um, K abilities, <laughs> if I you know put it on a, a zero to a hundred scale, and then I gave you the stats, um, the Basketball Reference page without a name, you would say oh, I would definitely want that dude coming mm-hmm. off my bench. Um, but when we factor in who it is, I think you have to say no. Mm-hmm. One thing that's been I, – I've been a huge Russell Westbrook apologist. Now, I, let me say, I did not like this trade mm-hmm. from the beginning for the Lakers. I thought he was actually in a good spot in Washington for who he is. Um, I thought this was going to put undue pressure on him 
to be a superstar again, which he is not, and he hasn't been for a little while. Um, but his lack of self-awareness is his biggest mm. detriment. Not being able to, not being able to understand where he is at in his career and how the league has kind of moved away from him is done more to harm his career than anything. He, uh, you know, coming out of, of UCLA, he was, they drafted him in OKC because of his defensive acumen, his athleticism, his ability to be a stopper mm-hmm. on the ball and his ability to attack the rim on the offense. He doesn't do either of those things now because he doesn't put effort on the defensive end, which I don't mm-hmm. understand. I don't understand. Maybe maybe his defensive ability was overshot at, at OKC, but I, I, I saw one moment in moments that counted where he really, really, really would lock down a player in the playoffs. You know, he did an excellent job on Clay and Steph in that uh in that series that they ended up ultimately losing. But he he played great defense in that mm-hmm. series. I don't know why he doesn't want to play defense. And I feel like it's just weird because he's so competitive. He's such a competitive person. And that's one of his biggest attributes is his competitiveness. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, why does he not want to play defense? I don't understand. I, I, I don't – maybe he does want to play. I just I, – I, it's hard for me to talk about Russ because, like I said, I've been an apologist for him for – I love players who, who have that like just – that nastiness in him where they just want to win. They just want to compete. They love basketball and they just want to compete. I love that. But it just seems like there's something missing. And I don't know if it's his confidence. Maybe he's – he internally, we don't know what he's like. I don't know what he's like in his personal life. We truly don't know. And maybe he doesn't have a lot of self-confidence. Maybe he needs to see a, a sports therapist. Now, I, I hate being like, maybe he's a mental case. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying. But, like, I feel like there's something that's not clicking. And the way that people and teams have treated him, I think maybe has affected it a little bit. I don't, maybe his relationship with Darvin Ham is different. Maybe he will give that effort. It's just hard for me to understand if I understand he's older, he's not as athletic, but at the very least, he should be in positions on the court to play better defense. And he's not. There's times when he, he's ball watching and he gets burnt back door and he doesn't help. He's not in the right spots. I, these are things I don't understand. And so, I just, I I think that in a vacuum, like I said, he would be the perfect six man or the perfect person to lead the bench. But because he is Westbrook and he he is who he is, this is doomed for, for yeah. failure. Yeah, I think the work. biggest thing too is you also look at some of the situations in terms of what they've done so far with Dennis Schroeder bringing in Patrick Beverly. I think a lot of the moves that they've made already mm-hmm. kind of show you that it's indicative of the fact that they don't believe in him not just from a starting standpoint but also filling at that filling out that depth to the point that you can see that it's almost like a slow phase out and i do find that interesting yeah. moving forward because i do really wonder whether or not this is going to be sustainable but i also do wonder is there really any potential trade package for him that realistically makes them better enough for them to make that kind of exchange mm-hmm. and of course a bunch of them have been brought up in passing but how realistic are for they for some of these other teams like the Indiana, like the Detroit's that have been brought up and associated with these things. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. on this and um, one of the biggest issues I think that people tend to skip over is in Russ fired mm-hmm. his agent that he'd been with for like 14 right. years 
And part of that was because his agent was telling him not to ask for mm-hmm. a trade because, and this is pure speculation and I'm aggregating, <laughs> <laughs> I'm aggregating some, some wind horse, some Bill Simmons and some other, and some Zach Lowe's here. But the speculation is that if he gets traded to Indiana or Utah, he will be immediately waived and that there probably isn't a team that's going to sign. Yeah. I've heard that as well. And so he has everything in his, in his life telling him to make it work in LA. Um, And so that is really sad to me. Like, I don't, I hate that for him. So like, I don't know that there's a trade to be made. I really don't because there are three teams that have talked about trading for him uh, are like we mentioned, Utah, Indiana, and then Charlotte was the other one that was mentioned. Um, I just don't think that there is a trade where the Lakers are going to give up those two picks to basically facilitate this trade. They're basically paying a tax to get rid of Westbrook and, you know, Heald and Turner are obviously, I think, the best of, of those trades. But I just don't – I don't see it, man. And it, it it's – this is honestly kind of like Russ's last stand. And I I think he can make it work, but he has to he has to change it himself. Yeah. I think that it sucks uh, – it, it sucks because I feel like this is one of those things that realistically, if lined up properly, there is a chance that things could actually work and benefit. I mean, when you look at the overall skill set of a guy like Russell Westbrook coming off the bench – he, I think from a talent standpoint, he supersedes a lot of these guys that are associated with like six man of the year caliber um, performances, right? The Tyler Heroes, the Jordan Clarksons, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. From a talent standpoint, he supersedes that. But the willingness to accept that and build upon that is going to be the overall question. Of course, we had the same conversation about Carmelo Anthony once upon a time, and that led to a blackballing in its own sense. And I think that this is another case of that situation where understanding your progression within this league and the league's progression beyond you, despite the fact that you are still within the league, that, that progression moving forward is influential on your longevity in this league. I think the point that you made about the ability for him to sign somewhere else if he were immediately waived after a trade not being there i think is very indicative of just how much of a volatile situation this actually is because it seems like at least in russ's case there is no win-win i actually would say that in a way there is no win-win for the lakers either because knowing that these are the circumstances there's not many teams that are going to be willing to be the recipient of something like this, understanding what they're going to be walking exactly. into. Exactly. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. And we saw Carmelo set out a year, right? I mean, he 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 didn't play basketball for an entire year. Um, you know, he was on that. Remember, he he was on the court sideline acting like he was going to shoot a jumper during. I think it was a Lakers yeah. playoff game or, or something. Yeah, and Carmelo has said like, I had to look myself right. in the mirror. And say, this is who I, if I want, and you know, I, and Carmelo is another one I feel bad for because he really did. When he came back, he tried everything he could to win a championship, to be a role player and, you know, do those things. And it just never worked out with where mm. he was at. This is more like an Iverson situation where 
Iverson had it, and then he didn't, and he couldn't adjust to not being right. the dude. And I think that's where we're yeah, at. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty sucky situation. And unfortunately, we've seen a handful of different circumstances like this beforehand. I think this is unfortunately one of those that has spiraled in a much more significant way that I think is going to cost a guy who I think still has the athleticism and physical capabilities to be mm-hmm. a a a plus guy on both sides of the floor if applied properly. Yeah. But I think that overall... I don't see an actual means to that without some internal growth. And that's not something that we as spectators can truly judge outside of just seeing that commitment made on the floor. Right. So it'd be kind of interesting to watch the Lakers this season. They're going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch simply from the storyline perspective, maybe not, you know, as fun of a team from a productivity standpoint to watch in terms of, the, mm-hmm. you know, how they play. But I think some of the things that are attached with their potential success or lack thereof this year is going to be, um, of course, one of the top storylines to watch throughout the season. So the last thing that we're going to focus yeah. on is uh, us nerding out for a second in terms of our own individual storylines that may be a little bit more particular to us, but something that I think, uh, something that we both think audiences should take into consideration following or audiences might already be uh, following and we're just shedding a little bit more light to it. So um, I'll actually start with you. What is a storyline that we didn't discuss um, in our original four that you are most excited to follow heading into this opening night? Yeah, so I I, I took this in a little different way, um, and I, I'm this is being very general, but I think one thing I want to follow close a little bit more closely this year is the the rookies mm. this year. This class is I don't think that we've gotten given enough credit to how good this class is. And I know that we've only ha- seen preseason, but I have been blown away by some of these players. Um, you know, some of them I thought would be good. Some of them I wasn't super high on. Like, you know, Jaden Ivey, I was not high on him. I know everybody else was. I know you were. This right. dude can ball. He is a baller. Um I think he's, I mean, it made, it made me think like, man, Detroit could really, really do something. Um, Benedict Matherin is who we said he was. I mean, that dude has balled out and he looks terrific. Mm-hmm. I I was, I knew his defense would be there, but he looks sharp on offense. Um, and probably, I wouldn't say a surprise because I know you mentioned that you really liked him. And I thought the draft pick was really good, but Tari Eason there's a chance that he he might surpass Jabari Smith this year and he's going to get some looks for rookie of the year. Um, you know, that guy has played insane. He has got a motor, which we knew about, but he looks like he has basketball IQ coming out his wazoo. So uh, I th- this rookie class is something that I really, really have my eye on. Um, I, I think, you know, Paulo is probably going to be one rookie of the year. But, like, I think that there's a lot of outside chance. I mean, in this, we don't even have Chet, right? Because Chet's hurt. So we're missing, like, you know, a, a, a top three mm-hmm. pick here, a top two pick. Um, and it's still, this class looks like it could be an all-time class. Like, it is, I am shocked by how, like, good some of these players are. And one other one that I wanted to mention is Ohio State alum, Malachi <laughs> Branham and San Antonio. He's looked like a three and D player. He looks like he plays the part. He has looked fantastic uh, 
so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just really excited for the, for this, this NBA year, but specifically I am going to be following the rookies a little bit closer. You know, most of the time, like I, I you know, as somebody who cares about good basketball, <laughs> sometimes I ignore the rookies because it's mm-hmm. so bad, but this year I think there's going to be some rookies that really, 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 really make a difference. Yeah. I think that the rookie class this year is going to be really interesting, especially because the top end definitely showed out in the early cases of, uh, you know, just the summer, the summer showcases in general, whether it's preseason um, or before. So I think that it's just going to be really interesting to watch them with them. Of course, you mentioned Chet not being in there, but I think there's a couple of other players that fall in there. Tari is in there. I think Benedict Matherin for Indiana has really shown out uh, during preseason and summer league in a way that I think is going to be intriguing moving forward, especially because I think they're going to give him some real burn. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that, um, Murray for uh, Keegan Murray for Sacramento really showed out. I think although he might not get significant touches, I think he can do so much in a short span of time Mm -hmm. that he can really do damage. And that's going to, that's going to bring some light to him, especially if the Kings do take a, 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 even a slight, if not significant step forward. So I think that this rookie class has a lot of potential impact ahead of them. The question is just going to be, um, more so who kind of solidifies himself as a head of the pack, because I think that Paulo Bancaro has the ability to do that. But again, I think that this Wimbenyama thing is going to really impact the way teams, especially those teams towards the bottom, decide to go yeah. about their about this season. That's yeah. the tricky part, right? Yeah. Yes. That's the tricky part. I think you nailed it. Like that to me was like, I, I started looking at these rookies. And I was like, man, they are like, these rookies are balling out, but it's like, these teams don't want to win, right? Like, I, so it's going to be interesting. To see yeah, the rookie, the, the rookie class is going to be fun to watch. My my big thing that I want to watch is really going to be the top end of both conferences. Uh, it's very fun to talk about the women Yama sweepstakes and all the teams that are going to be involved in that or looking to be involved in that. But I think that the top of both conferences is going to be so interesting because with so much with with such an influx of talent coming back from injury and just guys taking significant steps from, you know, just, you know, personal development. I think that this has the chance to be one of the most influential seasons in terms of seeing the trajectory of like who the next group of you know lead superstars are going to be because we're going to see a guard of guys Mm -hmm. step out after either this season or the next we are coming to a very we're coming very close to the crescendo of a lot of the the the, the all-time great level guys careers right we're already seeing guys that Mm -hmm. um that have been considered all-time greats once but once before like Dwight Howard for example or even like you know when Mm -hmm. you talk about uh, Chris Paul, we saw the back end of that series against Dallas. Different things like that are indicators that the next wave of talent is already here, but now it's kind of going to be interesting to see who really steps upon upon uh, steps to the top of all of it. And I think that the top of both conferences is also going to be indicative of that because I think we're going to have a lot of new names in that top five, top six stance. You know, I was already really pushing heavily on this podcast and on other podcasts for um, the Minnesota Timberwolves being one of those teams. I think that the mm-hmm. New Orleans Pelicans are going to be one of those teams. Last time we discussed um, on your podcast, Over Unders, I really pushed for the idea of the Philadelphia 76ers being a team that wants to set their dominance, uh, set their uh, set themselves straight with, the, with dominating the regular season. 
Uh, yes, they're a team that tends to so yeah, and I know they're a team that tends to be in that space. But I think there's a lot of teams that are gonna really want to put their their foot down in this regular season because, especially with the play-in tournament being what it is, getting into the playoffs is not as simplistic as it's been a year past, where you can pull the gas off right. and you can have slow starts and catch up. Not every team is, I guess, in a weird way, lucky enough to be able to have a turnaround like the Celtics or like the Pelicans did last season. So not every team can afford to have those kind of starts or those kind of ends to a season. I think that's going to be really influential in terms of the the seeding, uh, what teams take take seeding seriously, what teams take mm-hmm. home court versus not home court seriously, and what teams value the idea of going into the postseason hot versus healthy, right? So I think those are a lot of things that are really yeah. intriguing too. Um, Brian, this has been a great podcast, my guy. I'm going to give you this last uh, this last little bit of the pod to be able to plug all of the stuff that you're working towards and all the things that you are uh, doing in terms of your podcast. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. It's been a, a great podcast. I, I love talking to Jay. He's he's on my podcast. You guys want to quite a bit. We have some podcasts hopefully coming up. We're going to be able to work in um, with some predictions and, uh, and some possibly um, maybe some um, – um, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I want to I want to do something uh, where we talk about uh, our favorite, our probably probably our three favorite league pass okay. teams. So like, not necessarily our favorite teams, but teams that like we want to watch more of. Because that's the thing I think right now is like you look at the NBA schedule and it's just so heavy on some of these teams that we watch play all the time. I I, I want I want to see. I want to see the Pistons play. I want to see the Magic play. I want to see the Kings play. You know, I want to see these younger teams play. So that's something that I want to talk about. So, but you can find me at Two Guys One Hoop uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Also have a film review podcast, Midnight Film Review. Check it out. And my website is Cult of Pop. You will find me on TikTok at Cult of Pop. Well, that's Cult with a K. And right now I'm doing a lot of movie stuff, but the NBA season's starting, so I'm going to have a lot more NBA talk on there. Um, starting tonight yeah so with that i really appreciate you coming on the pod as always brian we're definitely going to have you as a regular on this podcast throughout this season really going to be enjoying a lot of the potential content to put together with this season being potentially as competitive from start to finish as it is um so with that being the case uh, all the stuff for Brian's content is going to be in, um, in the description. All the links will be there. So definitely check out not only his basketball stuff, but also his movie review stuff as well. With that being the case, my question of the day to you guys is going to be, what is the storyline you are following the most heading into this season and throughout the season? And with that, till next time, peace.